Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. It's an open line Friday. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone lines are open, 877-973-7425. As always, text ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. If you want to find me on social media, get the podcast, the live stream, the show notes, whatever. Remember, if you do text Eric to 33777, we send out an email about the time the show starts. With all the stuff I'm talking about on the show, you can read for yourself. And you don't have to, I don't have to tell you what to think. You can think for yourself. Now, uh, before we get to the Hunter Biden stuff, there is breaking news. I do want to cover very briefly the breaking news. The U.S. Supreme Court in the case of the United States versus Texas today has sided with the Biden administration against Texas and Louisiana. Those two states petitioned the court to force the Biden administration to enforce border rules. Uh, The court threw it out. Now, this is a little nuanced here, so follow along with me. Eight of the nine Supreme Court justices voted to throw the case out. Five voted to throw the case out on uh, one procedural ground, uh, and then three of the other justices disputed uh, those procedural grounds. So it was eight to one in outcome and five to four in rationality. Uh, Either way, though, whichever rationale you got, essentially what the court said is that uh, the states— cannot force the president of the United States to implement congressional law the way the states think. That is for the president at the federal level to implement. The states are not the federal government and therefore cannot tell the president which standard of enforcement he should use. Now, this is bad at the uh, level of the border. However, it's a fairly good restraint overall. Essentially, what the court determined, eight to one, is that the Supreme Court does not have the power to compel the president of the United States to use a different standard of enactment of laws than what the president deems because the president is the executive and they are the judicial. All they can do is decide whether or not the standard the president has chosen is constitutional or not or complies with the law. And when the president has discretion, they can't substitute their discretion for his. It is a pretty conservative decision, but it does not give conservatives the outcome they want. So eight to one, the Supreme Court said uh, it cannot force the president to close the border in the way Texas and Louisiana want. Five to four on the reasoning, either way, a majority of the Supreme Court Uh, Kavanaugh and Roberts sided with the three liberals on the rationale, uh, but everyone other than Sam Alito sided on the outcome. Clarence Thomas included sided on the outcome. That's the breaking news. Supreme Court decisions are out next week. This means next Tuesday and potentially next Thursday are going to be major, major days for the Supreme Court because they've got some bombshell decisions, including the 303 creative decision. Those will come out next week. 303 creative is the case where a web designer in Colorado preemptively sued saying, I don't want to have to design wedding websites for same-sex marriage. And it's gone to the court. Now, one of the issues will be standing since no one has actually 
uh, tried to use her services, will the court even say she has standing in the case? Normally, there has to be a grievance to be redressed, and she really had none. She was trying to get ahead of the game. We'll see how this goes. Major cases, including the affirmative action case in North Carolina and with Harvard, that'll come out next week. The 303 Creative case will come out next week. Uh, Big, big cases for next week. It is the last week of the Supreme Court term before uh, the 4th of July. They're always, they always wrap up by the end of June. Now, let's get to Hunter Biden. Um, This is a big deal. Uh, You know, if if this was Donald Trump, if this happened with Donald Trump, we would hear bombshell, 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 beginning of the end, beginning of the end, turning point, tipping point, turning point, tipping point, bombshell, bombshell. We're not getting that, but we begin, let's just play you some of the headline coverage, the sound of how it was covered. This is NBC's leadoff last night on the news. A House committee released testimony today from two IRS whistleblowers who say the DOJ, the FBI, and their IRS superiors improperly interfered with their investigation of Hunter Biden, who agreed to a plea deal this week. Garrett Haig joins us. Garrett, what do the whistleblowers have to say? Lester, these two senior IRS agents allege that the president's son received preferential treatment throughout the five-year tax investigation that resulted in two misdemeanor guilty pleas this week. In testimony released by a Republican-led House committee, the agents accused the DOJ and the FBI of slow-walking portions of the investigation to Hunter Biden's benefit. That was NBC News. This now is CBS News. They did not cover it, nor did ABC last night. But CBS This Morning covered it. IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley spoke to congressional investigators in May. He said IRS investigators recommended charges for tax evasion, filing a false tax return for the tax years 2014, 2018, and 2019, all felonies, plus charges for failure to file or pay several years. Those are misdemeanors. A conviction on these charges could bring hefty fines and up to five years in prison. But the plea deal filed this week by the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney David Weiss said the the president's son agreed to enter guilty pleas for two misdemeanor tax charges. As part of the deal, Biden will avoid full prosecution on a separate gun charge. A source familiar with the terms told CBS News his legal team expects probation, not jail time. Shapley also alleged there was a recovered 2017 WhatsApp message from Hunter Biden to a Chinese businessman over an outstanding payment stating, quote, I am sitting here with my father. We would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Hunter Biden allegedly texted, according to the transcript, I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand. And now means tonight. CBS News has not independently verified the message. The New York Times itself is running this. Uh, you know, it's notable when the New York Times is running this. The lead IRS agent investigating whether Hunter Biden committed tax crimes told Congress his team uncovered evidence that Mr. Biden had invoked his father, who was then out of office, when pressing a potential Chinese business partner in 2017 to move ahead with a proposed energy deal. In testimony made public on Thursday, Gary Shapley, an IRS agent since 2009 who supervised the tax agency's investigation into Hunter Biden, said his team used a search warrant to obtain a July 30th, 2017 WhatsApp message from Mr. Biden, Henry Zhao, a Chinese businessman. 
In a summary of the message provided to the House Ways and Means Committee by Shapley, Mr. Biden told Mr. Zhao that he was sitting with his father and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand and by now means tonight. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang, or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. At face value, of course, Joe Biden says he has no knowledge of any of this. And Hunter Biden says he's sitting in the room. We don't know that Joe Biden was sitting in the room. We do know he was out of office when it happened. But still, this is a a bigger issue here. I want you to follow along with me on this because I got to make a nuanced argument here that that if you don't listen to it all, you, you're, I get hate mail and it's because people hear what they want to hear and not what I'm actually saying. This is bad and directly undercuts a lot of what we've heard in the past week. To the extent that it is very bad, Hunter Biden was clearly invoking his father's name, claiming his father was with him. We don't know that his father was actually with him. He could have just been saying it. We don't know. There's no evidence. What we do know, though, is that this whistleblower, Gary Shapley, essentially says uh, Joe Biden, Merrick Garland, Christopher Wray, the head of the uh, FBI, and others undermined an investigation into Hunter Biden. What he says specifically is that Hunter Biden attempted to deduct uh, the services of prostitutes and membership in a sex club. And we know Hunter Biden was a member of that sex club because the founder of the sex club in Los Angeles said so. So we have corroborating details on that being true. We know the text message exists off WhatsApp because it was found on the hard drive of Hunter Biden's laptop. We know these things are true. Here's what we also know, and this is why I want to believe, but I also want to be cautious. When the Democrats trotted out Alexander Vidman's accusations against Donald Trump, Uh, They had advanced knowledge of it, and they worked with Alexander Vidman to prepare a uh, certified uh, statement that was notarized that put everything in the worst possible light for Donald Trump and painted a cohesive narrative for which you could not poke holes. And it turned out to be too good to be true. Same with the Steele dossier. The dossier, the, the, the Clinton team built the Steele dossier. It was funneled through John McCain. It made all sorts of allegations against Donald Trump and his family collaborating with the Russians, and it turned out to be a bunch of hooey. There were some substantive truthful details like a meeting at Trump Tower with someone who may or may not have been a Russian uh, about adoption issues. We don't know. There were other interactions. Those were all in the Steele dossier, and people pointed to those interactions and said, if that's true, then all the rest of this stuff has to be true because we know that stuff happened. So my spidey sense went off yesterday in in reading the statement from the whistleblower that the House uh, Ways and Means Committee released because it confirms every single one of my priors. 
It confirms every belief I have about the level of corruption in this administration. It confirms everything exactly as I would want it confirmed and challenges not a single one of my preconceived notions. And that generally, in my experience, is a tip-off that this has been constructed as a narration and some of the details may be left on the cutting room floor that would otherwise challenge my preconceived notions. So I'm not saying it's not true. In fact, the odds are it is very true. But I am saying some of the the, the implications and the callbacks to Biden and Christopher Ray and Merrick Garland, all these people that perhaps they're being oversold in the narration so that it captures our minds. A friend of mine who was a a lawyer who worked for Trump and others, um, they they have this to say. um, When I was talking about this the other night, uh, last night with some friends, and he write this, there's too much stagecraft in Washington these days. Nothing's organic. That's the doubt. We've all been around politics too long to believe that anything just comes together naturally. Perhaps we were leaking whistleblower stuff early to set up confirmation, or perhaps he was being directed, but all of us have watched cases never come together. They never got the Clintons on Whitewater and murder, or Trump on Russia collusion, or Biden on this. That's because most evidence is imperfect, witnesses are imperfect, cases are imperfect, so when we're confronted with a perfect story that confirms all of our priors, it has almost certainly been shaped and molded from the beginning to tell us the story. And that's kind of what went off of me. I, and again, I think it's true. I, I we, we know it appears that the U.S. attorney in Washington, D.C. would not allow charges to be filed there. That appears to be true. And if so, that directly contradicts something that Merrick Garland said about the case. We know because uh, the House of Ways and Means has his tax returns that Hunter Biden deducted prostitutes in a, in a sex club. We know that uh, this guy was in charge of the investigation and he wanted further charges against Hunter Biden. What he suggests is not that it was the U.S. attorney in Delaware who backed it all down, but that he was forced to back it all down. Uh, And he implicates the FBI director, the attorney general, the president, others. It's the implications of those people that I question, not that this happened, but I think what we have here is grounds for a much deeper investigation because clearly preferential treatment was given to Hunter Biden, and clearly they did force the U.S. attorney to walk away from some charges. The question now is why, because the whistleblower speculates, but the man who would know is the U.S. attorney of Delaware, and we need him to testify under oath before Congress and tell us what actually happened. That's where we should go from here. I don't want to take it all as gospel truth. But it certainly looks like the shades point towards the truth, and we should investigate further. And I got to say, good for the New York Times, NBC, and CBS for at least covering the big bullet points. I didn't expect that, and yet they did, which tells you how credible they take a lot of this. Open line Friday, 877-973-7425. Lewis, we're going to go to you next. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good, and you, sir? Good. That's good. Hey, I'll make it quick because I'd like to hear your opinion on this. So I know we're trying to get corporations out of China and try to put them into Latin America. I was thinking instead of giving the Latin American countries, the governments, because we all know that they're all corrupt and they steal the money, you can give it to the corporations as a subsidiary to help them move and to incentivize them to be there. Um, For example, Apple, you can help Apple 
you know, set up shop uh, instead of giving the money to, for example, Brazil. They can instead give it to Apple to help set up shop and help their economy grow, which would disincentivize uh, people coming illegally into the states. Yeah. So, okay. First of all, I think that's a great idea. And second, there are actually a couple of bipartisan proposals in Congress to do just that for the reasons that you're pointing out, the corruption in some of these countries. And essentially the proposal, it's a bipartisan proposal that's been put forward would tell these companies, you will get a certain level of tax exemption on the sales of products manufactured in those countries to incentivize them to set up shop. They would save massively on their taxes if they moved their uh, manufacturing hubs out of China to essentially American allies and uh, Latin American countries. It's a fantastic idea. Incentivize the companies, not the corrupt regimes in those countries. And those corporations through their clout could actually push for a cleanup of the ethics uh, or take advantage of the unethical behavior in those countries to their own benefit and bottom line. But we've got to find a way to incentivize people to get out of those countries. I want to find a way to incentivize you to move to Patriot Mobile. You know, there are a number of cell phone company competitors out there that claim to be on your side, that claim to share your conservative values. Every one of them is just a branded front operation for a bigger company except Patriot Mobile. They were explicitly set up and designed to be a Christian conservative alternative for mainstream big cell phone oligopolies. All you have to do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can move your cell service to them, including your existing phone number. They will then take a portion of the profits you help them grow and fund the conservative movement, the pro-life cause, the Second Amendment cause, conservative candidates around the country. It's how they were designed, unlike all of their competitors who claim to do the same. That's why they're there. So go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, or you can call them 972-PATRIOT, 100% U.S.-based customer service. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation, patriotmobile.com slash Eric. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here nationwide. The phone number 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program today, it is a Friday, so it's a free-for-all. You can call in and help set the show, the agenda. Uh, Just give us a call. Phone lines open, but before I take any phone calls, I got to talk to you about this. The American mainstream press has been very dismissive of claims that the 2020 election was stolen until now. Many of you listening believe the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump. The mainstream American media has refused to even consider it. But at this point, based on their standards, I think you've got to conclude the American press has decided that the election was stolen. Take, for example, uh, one of the videos that came out in Fulton County, Georgia, uh, is one that I'm very familiar with. If you'll remember, uh, there was a leak water situation at the arena where they were counting votes. Uh, People had to leave. They came back, and then they were told, we're not going to count any more votes. You can go home. And then a video showed uh, election workers continuing to count ballots. They had moved what looked like a suitcase, uh, and then they started opening it. There were ballots. Uh, they They were counting them, some of them. They were passing multiple times 
through the scan machines. And the narration from those who believed it was a stolen election was, look at this. They, they brought in a suitcase full of ballots. They not only started counting the ballots after everyone was gone, but they scanned some of them repeatedly. Now, if you understood what was happening, what was happening was there's a, there's a little procedural bit in Georgia election law. That suitcase was not a suitcase. It was actually the uh, repository where the ballots are slid into at the voting locations. And under the rules to prevent fraud, ironically, once one of those is open, you can't close it until all the ballots out of it are counted. It's actually designed to prevent vote fraud. You don't want someone to open up a ballot box in the middle of the night, start counting, and then go home, and someone in the middle of the night comes in and slides more ballots into the box that are counted the next day. You don't want that to happen. So when one of them is open, they have to be completely emptied out and counted. Uh, those ballots can be scanned multiple times. They're only counted once. They're barcoded that way. And we know that's true because they're hand counted. In, in this case, there was a statewide hand count in Georgia afterwards, and they matched. So they weren't like over counting votes digitally because the hand count matched the digital count. Now, regardless of what you want to say about any of the other allegations about stolen election, that particular example was not a matter of vote fraud. It was narrated by Stop the Steal proponents as being a matter of vote fraud, but that particular instance was not. One of the grievances of people who believe the election was stolen, and what I think is the most legitimate grievance of all, is that it is standard practice in the United States of America that once an election has begun, you cannot change the rules of the election until it's over. And yet, in 2020, secretaries of state around the country changed the rules of the election, hiding behind COVID, saying, we've got to adapt to COVID. We've got to change these rules. In normal times, that's not allowed. But in this case, judges, including many Trump-appointed judges, allowed the rules to be changed for fear of COVID. And they really shouldn't have been based on past Supreme Court precedent. And if you want to say in that case the election was stolen, that's what we need to point to, not to these ballots being counted in Fulton County and things like that. But based on how the media is treating the ProPublica attack on Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito, the standard they are using for ProPublica is the standard that Trump supporters used on those ballots in Fulton County. They're taking the worst possible interpretation of the events ignoring all other interpretations, ignoring the procedures, ignoring the facts and ignoring the rules, and they're making it into the worst thing ever. For the national press corps from CNN to MSNBC to ABC to CBS to PBS to NBC to the New York Times to the Washington Post to USA Today, for them to take at face value the allegations ProPublica has made at Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas and refuse any other interpretation or allow it so they can, they can mock it and dismiss it is no different than the handling of the election in 2020 and the claims of those who said it was stolen. The media rejected the stolen election claims, but they're treating the ProPublica claims as legitimate. And if you just simply scratch the surface of them, they're not. Let's take the Clarence Thomas allegation first. The allegation is that Clarence Thomas has a really, really rich friend who dotes on the Thomases, 
who are not very wealthy people. In fact, right before Clarence Thomas got on the Supreme Court, he was rejected for credit cards because his credit rating was so bad he didn't have a ton of money. He's got a very wealthy friend who takes the family on vacations, has helped the family out, has never had business before the Supreme Court. None of his companies have had business before the Supreme Court. He has not had business before the Supreme Court. But the left says because of those ties to that wealthy person, it is proof of inappropriate conduct or the appearance of impropriety. It's no different than conservatives saying, look at all the money Mark Zuckerberg spent in liberal jurisdictions helping them with the election. And the media said, well, that doesn't mean anything. Well, then neither does Clarence Thomas with his wealthy friend, except the media is with the left on this, and so they're willing to treat that legitimacy. There's no appearance of impropriety because there's no case the guy brought before the Supreme Court, and yet we're supposed to cast dispersions on Clarence Thomas because he has a wealthy friend. You know, in October, I I am by no means a man of great wealth, but in October, I'm taking three friends of mine to an NFL game. A Monday night NFL game. We wanted to go see an NFL game. One of them has never been to Las Vegas. I'm taking the three of them to Las Vegas for a Monday night football game. I'm covering the airfare in the hotel. I guess there's an appearance of impropriety, except none of them are doing business with two of them. In fact, are on my payroll. It's just kind of crazy. Let's take the Sam Alito situation. Fifteen years ago, Sam Alito took a fishing trip with several other judges and a very wealthy man named Paul Singer and flew on Paul Singer's private plane. Had Sam Alito flown publicly, a U.S. Marshal would have had to accompany him for security. By flying private, he saved taxpayers money. They went to what was not a fancy fishing lodge. It has since been renovated, and ProPublica would like you to believe that the renovations are proof of how great it was in the past. But it wasn't a fancy vacation then. Not only that, another federal judge who went on the trip, has documented the notes of the trip and said he was advised by the Judicial Ethics Office that it did not need to be disclosed given the circumstances of it. It did not fit the need for disclosure. So he didn't disclose it either. ProPublica hasn't come after that guy, but they've come after Sam Alito. They want you to believe as well that Paul Singer had business before the United States Supreme Court because a business he had a financial interest in was before the court. But there's a problem with that as well. Paul Singer was not a direct owner of the company. There was no way to find out that Paul Singer had an investment in the company. He happened to have an investment in a company, but there was no disclosure. In other words, there's no way possible for Sam Alito or any other member of the court to know that Paul Singer had a business financial interest in a company that had a hearing before the United States Supreme Court. No way at all. The one time Paul Singer really did have a substantive interest before the court, he filed an amicus brief in the Obergefell case. That was the case that legalized gay marriage. Sam Alito voted against it. Paul Singer was for it. ProPublica did not raise that issue. They instead raised the issue of a 15-year-ago fishing trip for which the Federal Judicial Ethics Office said it didn't need to be disclosed under the rules of the Federal Judiciary's ethics policies, and then tried to tie in a business case before the court and one other case later in life. And by the way, totally ignored Sam Alito 14 years ago, talked about the trip publicly, and no one raised a concern. Not only that, ProPublica has raised issues 
about Sam Alito citing a 17th century British jurist and said this should be disqualifying for him as well. ProPublica is upset that in the draft Dobbs decision that Alito wrote getting rid of Roe v. Wade, he cited Sir Matthew Hale. Matthew Hale was in the 1600s a British judge who sentenced two women to death for witchcraft. And because Sam Alito would dare cite this noted British jurist who sentenced women to to death for witchcraft, he should be canceled. Except Sonia Sotomayor and Elegana Kagan have also cited Matthew Hale in decisions. In fact, Sonia Sotomayor cited him in the last couple of weeks. Also, do you know who the biggest user of private jets from Friends was on the Supreme Court? Why, that would be St. Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, whose arrogance and hubris to stay on the court until her death allowed Roe v. Wade to go away. She considered herself the indispensable person. She wouldn't leave when she had the chance to leave, and then she died, and Trump got to appoint Amy Coney Barrett. But for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Roe v. Wade would not have been overturned. ProPublica has chosen to totally ignore the fact that Ruth Bader Ginsburg flew on private jets more than any other justice. And after her, Stephen Breyer, another liberal jurist. Those weren't issues that impacted the fairness of the court. Those were people, and by the way, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, notorious for taking private trips from progressives who had business before the court. But that's not an appearance of impropriety to ProPublica or the media. None of those things are appearance of impropriety. It just so happens that the appearances of impropriety come from the people who are on the right, not the left. They don't care about the left. Why? When Donald Trump lost the election in 2020, he and his supporters set about undermining the legitimacy of the electoral institutions of the country to cast doubts on the outcome of the election. Whether you believe or not, you do have to acknowledge that what he wanted to do was to highlight doubts about the process and the fairness of the process, to undermine the basic claims about Joe Biden being president. The left is doing the same thing with the Supreme Court. There's no difference in the stop the steal crowd and what progressives are doing to the integrity of the Supreme Court. The only difference is that the media is willing to buy into the claims of the left despite there being no real evidence. It's all manufactured. It's twisted and spun in just the right way to build an appearance of impropriety where there really is no appearance of impropriety if you don't put everything in the worst possible interpretation. In the same way with the Fulton County ballots, you put it in the worst possible interpretation of what happened, it looks like hanky-panky in the in the counting votes, but it really wasn't. In the same way, the supposed appearance of impropriety for Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas, there was no business before the court impacted by those things. They have relationships with people on the outside, but the left hates billionaires and uh, assumes they're a corrupting influence, and because these two men are friends with billionaires, they therefore have the corruption leech off to them. The same CNN that is upset about this and ran the stories without any sort of context around ProPublica questioning their left-wing agenda allowed on the guy who wrote the piece of New Republic blasting the dead billionaire and the captain of the submersible for giving to Republicans. It's all narrative-based. Based on the same standards 
that the media is using for ProPublica, they need to apologize to a whole hell of a lot of Republicans, including Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, Mike Lindell, and Donald Trump, because it's ProPublica is using the exact same standard to cast dispersions on the Supreme Court that they use to cast dispersions on the 2020 election. The difference is the media is sympathetic to the left and will kick, complain, pound, sand, and cry when I point out their hypocrisy and deny that they're doing it, except they are and they know it. They just don't care because they too are so of the left. They don't care about undermining the Supreme Court and the institutions of government because they're not getting what they want. Same thing that Trump supporters did in 2020 with the electoral processes of the country. It's the same thing happening. It's just the media is sympathetic to the left. So they're perfectly happy to destroy the reputation of the Supreme Court with trumped-up evidence and vague accusations because they're on the left and they're not getting what they want from them. So screw the court. I'm going to get hate mail from members of the media who listen to the show. Some of them do. Um, They'll be very defensive. But it's true, and I stand by it. One of the groups that's out there battling back against ProPublica and the left and and their left-wing agenda is Americans for Prosperity, who go around the country building an army of conservative activists to fight for limited government, free markets, free people. They want you on their team. They've got 36 statewide chapters. They're growing in the other states as well. They've got 4 million activists around the country right now who have learned to be door knockers and persuade uh, their neighbors that limited government is right. They've learned how to persuade their city councils, boards of education, state legislatures, and congressmen that limited government, free markets, free people are the right way to go in this country. You can get educated, learn, and be more effective too. Go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Go check out Americans for Prosperity. Be on their team. Learn to be an effective grassroots activist for the right. americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Uh, go there now. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson, the phone number 877-973-7425. It's an open line Friday. Feel free to call in about what you want to talk about today. Instead of me, I got to, I just shouldn't, but I will. Somebody called the other day and was on hold for over two hours and I, I didn't get to them. And they were told I probably wouldn't get to them because it was about a topic that I had not talked about in in, uh, days, and I wasn't going to move back to it. It, it, We had too much stuff to talk about. And then we we told him, like, the odds are that you're not going to get on. And then he sat on hold the entire show and then got mad uh, and sent angry emails. Um, Today is the day. Friday is the day where I take topics off what I want to talk about, just so you know. This hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Um, Those of you who are new to the show, if you're on WTIC up in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, or uh, WORD in Greenville, South Carolina, you can reach out and use First Liberty as well. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. If you need $250,000 or more for your business to buy a building, build a building, buy a franchise, buy out a business partner or a competitor to grow your business, That's what First Liberty specializes in. They make their own lending decisions. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the early 90s. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's their website. All their contact info is there. Just spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them, them for you. I want a word, please, on lab-grown meat. 
As you are aware, the U.S. government that approved before it walked back the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine is now approving lab-grown chicken for consumption. For years and years and years, we have all been told to eat the least processed foods that that would be best for us. Between the beyond meat and the impossible meat and the lab-grown meat now, the government wants to encourage you to eat things grown in a lab. It will not be as good for you. It will be more processed than even the Twinkie on the, on the uh, shelf at the grocery store right now. Uh, and they want you to eat it in the name of not saving yourself or improving your life, but saving the planet. It is a cult. They are willing to abandon long-held scientific research and push Franken food on you that is grown in a lab because they don't care about you. They care about saving the planet, and they have separated you from the entire ecosystem. Uh, This is not going to be a good thing, and the Beyond Meats and the Impossible Meats are struggling in business anyway. That should tell them where this is headed, Uh, but undoubtedly they'll try to force us to eat it, and they shouldn't. Eat the least processed food. Go eat a cow or a chicken, not something grown in the lab.